0: Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ and how they work has driven their incredible success. Today we're talking to Anasia Sobroyan, founder of the gorgeous pet food brand Scrumbles, food for cats and dogs that's good for their gut and also good for the planet. We talk about pretty poos competing in the highly competitive pet food category against global players, what it's like to work with your husband, and why they decided to raise funds early on. Inacious O'Broyan, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. How are you doing? It's halfway through the week. How's your week going?
1: Yeah, it's going really well, thank you. I can't believe it's a early Wednesday. It's always flying by. You're working from home today, I see. I am indeed. I'm in the
0: office in the office. Very nice. So listen, we're really delighted to welcome you as the first pet food brand on Brand Growth Heroes. And when I was doing some background research to try and understand a little bit about the category, I found myself absolutely mind boggled by the complexity of this enormous category full of huge amounts of competitive activity. And I thought to myself, my God, this woman is a genius because I know you're doing really well and you're going to tell us just how well you're doing. But how you navigate that, I just don't know. I
1: remember first um, creating the whole competitor context and making a grid of, you know, where do we stand? And the grid got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I realized there's way too many
0: competitors out there. Um, Yeah, that was overwhelming. So it'd be really interesting to talk a little bit about that. But before we do, one of the things we always do on Brand Growth Heroes is, Tell us what you are, what Scrumbles is, where to find you, what it looks like, so that people who don't know the brand, listening from anywhere in the world, can imagine that in their heads as we talk through the rest of the conversation.
1: Perfect. So um, we make recipes for cats and dogs. Um, and They centre around digestive health. So okay. use natural and gut-friendly ingredients like probiotics or slippery elm. We mm. talk about pretty poos a lot. Parents have to inevitably pick up poo, um, and it's a really good tell of the health and well-being of your cat or your doggy. Right. So, to our brand um, is having a positive impact. So we became the second pet food brand certified as a B Corp. Okay. And we also donate 1% of our sales to environmental causes as part of 1% for the planet. We strongly believe, we talk about good health starts in the gut and good food shouldn't cost the earth. Those are our two form, founding beliefs. And that means not just in price positioning, obviously um, more premium ingredients or environmental packaging has a higher cost. Otherwise everybody would do it, but we focus on our price positioning so that we're a super premium pet food at a premium price point. And we take conscious decisions, so whether that's manufacturing locally to reduce our food miles, using plastic-free compostable packaging or recyclable packaging to avoid landfill. And we work very closely um, with the University of Bath investing into life cycle assessments so that we have
0: a really good understanding of our impact and we can make informed decisions to reduce that. And one of the things I was swatting up on was, are people trying to reduce, and I don't want to go down into this rabbit hole, but just, are people trying to reduce the amount of meat that their dogs or cats eat? And you've got an amazing set of explainers on your website, which by the way, I love your website. It is really simple. Uh, There's so many Very, very detailed and quite overwhelming websites out there for pet food. But you were saying on your website that you don't use red meat. You just use chicken and pescatarian and fish diets in order to be more sustainable, but still give the animal what they need. Is that right?
1: Exactly. So our pets don't realise this, but Scrumbles is a pescatarian friendly Mm. company, um, which means polo, um, you know, poultry and yeah. um, fish because it's got a lower emission. We avoid things like dairy because you can find dairy in a lot of pet food and that's okay. got an even higher pet um, emission environmental footprint than say things like chicken. But we also do look at plant-based diets. So it's not good for your cats who are obligate carnivores, but for doggies, when it comes to treats, they can actually eat you know, carrots and things like that. So we, after our life cycle assessment, developed a plant-based dental treat, which is mm-hmm. our number one selling product. And it oh, really? helps
0: you minimise, you know, your pet's paw print, as we like to call it. Okay. And I understand as well, and really interesting thing from the category data that people spend 50% of their spend on pet food is actually on treats, certainly in dogs. Particularly during the pandemic, we've become very generous treaters. Wow.
1: Um, And I think that's you know, even more so true for the younger generation of pet parents. We tend to show our love in treats. So um, we talk about guilt-free snacking
0: a lot and making sure we give our pets low calories. So two things I'm thinking there. I'm thinking less price sensitivity in treating your dog because of the higher emotional connection or the emotional burden or weight because you want your dog to be happy. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So tell us, about Pretty Poos, and I know that Pretty Poos is where all this started for you, isn't it? Can you talk to us about competing on gut health and Pretty Poos and how all that came about and and where that puts you in the category?
1: Yeah, so um, I've always grown up with pets and um, I had my doggy smudge right after university. But when me and my husband moved in together, we wanted to get a pet baby together. So we rescued um, our little kitten, Boo, and had all sorts of problems with her, so some gory details I'll spare you from. Oh, no, go on. Honestly,
0: this is what this is about. (laughs) Like, just go for it. Well, um,
1: we have some very crude conversations with some of our customers about poo, and some of them do send us pictures, which I'd rather them not. We had explosions in the litter box, and kitten poos particularly smells really badly. It takes over the entire house. So, we knew that we had to sort it out and um, went back and forth to the vet, and we were prescribed what's known as the poo prescription, probiotic paste. So, you put the probiotic paste onto their food, and um, it completely cleared all of the problems. So, she went from explosions to a beautifully formed poo. And, you know, there's actually a it's the Bristol stool chart, it's the same for humans and pets. So, what a good poo should look like. It needs to have a moist film around it. It needs oh, to Oh, God, okay, warm. no. This is too <laughs> close to breakfast. I know you said you were
0: going to go into detail.
1: <laughs> there was a time um, during the development of Scrumbles where if you went through my phone, you would just see poo pictures because Hilarious. we had all of our kind of friends' pets sending us daily pictures of the poo so that so we could see
0: where we were doing Does that mean that from day one, you knew that this is how you wanted to compete? Did you see a gap in the market for this? I mean, when you as an owner had all this explosive poo issues, what did you say to yourself? What was the click? Because your background is FMCG and food and brand. So your head must have been going that way as well as the, oh God, I've got to sort out the poo situation.
1: Well, what's actually really funny is we were focused around gut health, but we didn't realise that that was our focus. So okay. we were doing this to develop a recipe that worked well, you know, by our cat and doggy. Yeah. We didn't realize that that was what was unique about us. And it okay. was only once we were forming the design, you know, Jack and I really thought about speaking to millennial pet parents because that was the gap that we'd identified. Nobody was really talking to us and and looking at our pets as how we see them as our little babies. Um, and gut health was part of the recipe, but it's as we worked with our design partners that we realised that, well, actually, that's really what's defining us and distinguishing us from the competition. So we made that more prominent on the packaging and talked about it a lot more.
0: Okay. And it is a fabulous positioning. I was actually doing a brainstorming with there's a pet food company on my course at the moment. And we were doing some brainstorming before I was even talking to you. And we were talking about all of the pain points for owners, you know, and the first thing that came out was having to pick up poo and poo and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that everybody feels. So you came out onto the marketplace then in what year? We launched June
1: 2018, um, two years after starting the journey. We thought it'd take us six months to get to market like any naive founder and realised actually there was a lot of different things that we had to sort out. So it took us a little bit longer and we worked for other companies consulting whilst
0: working on scrambles in the background. So even though you have been at some of the world's finest FNCG companies, and I'm talking Procter & Gamble, I'm talking L'Oreal, I'm talking, who else? Unilever. Unilever. You still didn't realise that it was going to take you two years instead of six months. <laughs> yeah. What does that say for people who've never worked in the industry before, you know? There's a really big learning there, isn't there, for everybody?
1: It really is. And I think um everybody expected us to succeed from day one because of our background. And yeah. that terrified us because... You only know what you know and you just don't know all of the unknown things about starting a business. So I've learned more in the past two years or three years, should I say, than I did in my ten years at all of those places. You've mentioned Jack now. So you and Jack started this. Who is Jack? So Jack's my my best friend and husband who um, has worked with me before. So we briefly worked together at Unilever and almost worked together at Innocent, but he later Um, and yeah, I went to L'Oreal instead. So he's your doggy daddy?
0: He is, yeah. Oh, cat daddy. Oh, he's your cat daddy. So you're a cat person. Okay. And so you and Jack work together. You're both the founders. And so we haven't yet said, so you, two years ago, you came on the market. What are you doing now in terms of market sales values?
1: So um, last year, we closed at £2 million. This year, we should deliver between 6 to £8 million.
0: That's amazing. And where are you listed? Where can we find you?
1: everywhere online um, so you can find us directly on scrumbles.co.uk and um, we work with retail partners amazon fetch ocado and um, pets at home and then in the pandemic we launched with saintsbury's that was our first for range the grocery world and um, we've since expanded our range with them and launched into whole foods and wilco Amazing. alongside local pet shops
0: what proportion of, and this is putting you on the spot maybe, but what proportion of dog food in the UK is bought uh, through major malts versus through online?
1: It's changed dramatically during the pandemic. So the grocers used to hold between 50 to 60% of the share. Um, online has dramatically taken over. Um, oh, it's wow. really hard to get a read because IRI don't pick up Amazon, but we sure. know that they have about 50% of the online share and that's the fastest growing area. Just Amazon themselves? Just Amazon alone. They are a beast.
0: Oh, so they have 50% of online and then online probably has 50% of all of it at least. Yeah, about 10, 10 to 20 of the overall, I would say. Oh, only 10 to 20. Okay, so does that mean that retail has, grocery Retail as the rest of it?
1: You have the specialist market, which is where most of premium pet food can be found. So those are your independent pet shop chains. So pets at home, they have around yeah. 10% market share, pets okay. corners. And then there are a number of pet chains and
0: the veterinary and breeder side. Now, the reason I'm asking that those questions, they might seem detailed, but yesterday I did a webinar for people on how to scale up your operations as your business grows. And one of the things we do when we're doing that exercise is we have brainstorm all the buckets of jobs to be done. And then we brainstorm breaking those down? What are all the micro jobs to be done? And then we say, what are the skill sets and knowledge and capabilities required to do those jobs? And the reason I'm asking you those questions is I'm thinking, OK, if I was an Asia what skill set and knowledge and capabilities do I need in my company in order to compete really well in those different channels? And then how do I allocate my resources accordingly? So have you had to learn how to sell online and how to sell to specialist stores whereas before maybe you were in the grocery retail because of your big company experience? Or what have been your big Learning opportunities and challenges. Yeah, so Grocery's
1: definitely always been the bread and butter of my careers where I feel most comfortable. Um, I've never sold directly before. So, yeah. starting up the DC side of the business was a really hard learning, you know, how to get people to know that you exist. Um, I've learned a lot about SEO and, you know, I, I enjoy the geeky side of analysis. So, I think that. I've become quite good at it. So if you if you search those kind of purchase intent keywords, scrumbles tends to be on the first page of Google for them, um, and we monitor it very closely. Amazon has been a fascinating retailer to watch. I remember when I started my career, it just didn't really exist, and now it's the big threat to all of the supermarkets. It's the you know really helpful for challenger brands to get a presence and and make other brands notice them. I think that. There's different ways of selling on Amazon. So anybody can start as a seller, um, but for pet food, because the bulk of the weight of the product, the fees are actually really high. So you end up not making any money. So that was a blocker for us. And we had to work to drive a presence with our own websites and go to all of the cat and dog shows across the country, which there are cat and dog shows every weekend before um, you know, we could get in front of the buyer and say, please invite us to the vendor central portal.
0: It's one of those things, isn't it, with D2C that I'm learning as well, that it's a bit like how far do you want to go down the rabbit hole to understand each and every bit of it? Tell us a little bit about your team, you and Jack and what you do. And at your team weekly meetings or monthly meetings, whatever, how do you prioritize where to put your focus? And we haven't even talked about the category segmentation yet, which I'd love to, but just talk to us a little bit about the team and how you prioritize your focus, given that there is so many new channels that you're getting to grips with, and a lot of the market isn't the future market potentially isn't in the major months the way it used to be? So um,
1: meetings, I'll I'll start first. We've just put in a weekly meeting. It's been going for about five weeks. Um, Up until that point, um, we've been very much an oral company. And it's a stark contrast to my career where we had meetings every single day and so much structure. Um, there's five of us now, so it's Jack and myself. Jack tends to manage the sales side, and I manage the marketing and brand strategy. Tash was our third employee, and she looks after all of the wonderful things you see on social media and um, all our digital advertising. And then we brought in two other guys to help manage our operations. We're okay. very much hands-on, so we still fill all of our direct orders from our office slash warehouse so, which a lot of people don't realize, but it's allowed us to understand the pain points for our customers when they get the product, what experiences they're expecting and really sell them um, you know, what makes scrumbles, the choice for their pet and different
0: things that we're doing. So Wow, so you're at that beautiful point where you're actually doing some great figures in terms of market performance market sales value, but there's only five of you. That's nice. And your growth plans then for the next three years, I mean, what channels are you seeing that growth coming from? So all channels are growing really strongly for us. We're in triple digit
1: growth across our different channels. International is a new area for us. So um, pre-Brexit, we had a small European business. We're just finalizing setting up our European warehouse um, so that we can kickstart that off again. Oh, that's great. That will be a big kind of growth area for the business, but we've only just gone into the world of grocery. Other grocers are starting to talk to us. You know, fingers crossed, you'll, you'll
0: find scrambles in more places. So you've got huge headroom with such a strong market sales base already. Well done, it's really impressive. You know, it, it was really a big, is.
1: Difficult journey. I think the first six months, I wanted to go back to my old job. Okay. Um, You you face so much rejection, I think, at the beginning, um, because everybody has a great idea. And, you know, you touched it on already, but there are so many pet brands out there. So when you speak to a retailer, they always say, oh, God, not another pet brand. So let's talk about that.
0: Try and describe the category, uh, because I'm trying to make sense of the fact that one aisle represents the entire diet for a species, whereas the rest of the supermarket is loads of aisles for us as humans. And there seems to be this like matrix of whether it's health or age or private label premium and it's like a multi-dimensional matrix. How do you make sense of that with your analytical mind?
1: Yeah. So, you know, when we looked at where do we fit in the category, um, we could see that we weren't going to compete on the mass side because we wanted to choose, you know, more expensive ingredients. So that was always going to drive us into the premium world. Within the premium world, you have super premium, which is about 20% of the market, and then premium, which is 30%. And, that's the fastest growing area. So nutritionally, um, pet parents are becoming savvier and trading that mass of people into you know no, into the more expensive products because they can see the benefits to their pets and the improvements in the longevity of their lives. Yeah, um, we have positioned ourselves to just do things slightly differently. So talk about gut health and um, make those decisions around and um, you know environmental impact because we know that that's important across all categories and to yeah. our millennial customers. I think the majority of brands that exist have always spoken to the slightly older customer and um, they're only just starting to talk to that younger consumer. And even though there are so many pet brands out there, 80% of them are owned by Mars and Nestle. So in terms of those independent challenger brands, there's, there's very few of us.
0: Okay. So even Lily's or somebody like that is owned by a big company? Lily's is owned by Nestle, yeah. Wow. Okay, and Fourth Glade is that still independent? That's owned by a private equity company. Oh, okay, so that was bought a few months ago. Okay, so authenticity and still connection to the founders and the real story is something that you guys have as an asset. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. So you started this because you were dealing with bad poos, right? And your whole formulation is around making pretty poos. You go and you talk to the buyers or you start getting traction online. What was the moment when you realised that this was going to work? In terms of the B2B bit, who said yes? Who sat up and listened? And then what were the indications for you that you kind of could take a little breath, a little sigh of relief? (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure I'm at that
1: stage yet, but um, the, the first retailer that said yes was not the first to have scrumbles like, listed, um, and it was fetch. And I remember the meeting because my voice was breaking, and I could feel the nerves, and I could hear the nerves in Jack's voice. And the buyer was like, yeah, I'm going to give you a go. I like the story, so we'll, we'll do it. Once we launched, we had nothing back from him. No emails we were chasing. We were calling, absolutely nothing. So um, Jack ended up actually driving to the offices and sat down in the waiting room until the buyer came down to leave so that we could speak to him and say, remember us, you said yes. When are we going to list? Okay. I think, you know, It was really, Sainsbury's has been a huge change for us. The first buyer actually said to me that we had nothing unique about our brand and it wasn't going to work. So, um, you know, well done for everything that you've done, but I would probably advise you not to continue. Um, And that was a hard, hard bit of feedback to take. Um, And
0: like I said, is that not just a, a strategy, though, you know? Is that not I just a negotiation idea, strategy? It was
1: really harsh. And I yeah, I can rejection. imagine. But as soon as that buyer moved on, we reached out to, to the new buyer and you, know, they actually gave us a chance to speak to them and you know, really bought into the story and understood that us millennials are taking over the world and we want different things to the generation um, above us. So that was the first yes. Um, they very much saw us as a cat brand, okay. uh, which... We're, has been something that we've had to fight against to say that no you know we're here for cats and doggies and we we share a lot of data to show that actually our sales are equally balanced and um, so most of the brands out there so you mentioned lilies before they are a dog brand 80 percent of their sales will be from the dog side and and that's true of all of our competitors but we've struck a really strong balance of speaking to parents for cats and doggies
0: Okay, that's a really interesting. So not only in terms of I'm imagining I'm a buyer here and I'm thinking, okay, so there's someone who can be confident in them delivering into both segments and talking about gut health in both segments in a coherent way. And that is a point of difference for you in terms of your trade customer proposition. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think um, more and more households are having both cats and doggies. So intrinsically,
0: you know, there's more value to be had from a brand that talks to both of those parents. Amazing. So talk to us about what it is like working with your husband. It's awful.
1: <laughs> no, I absolutely love it. It's um it's overwhelming. I think we've been together for a number of years and we've learned a lot about our strengths and, and you know what we don't do so well. Um and we are very different. You know, I'm a night owl. I'm an awful morning person. Jack is brilliant in the morning. He gets me out of bed every single day. Um but it does mean that I suddenly have all this energy in the evening um, just as he's, he's falling asleep. I'm like, oh, what if we were to do this with Saint's Rees? Or, you know, have we thought about this? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: you know, we're learning to compartmentalize work and, you know, strike that work-life balance. And growing the team has been really helpful. So for the first two years, it was just the two of us. And um, then, bless Tash, she was the third wheel for about six months before we grew the team slightly more. As we develop the team, we're getting more time to focus on ourselves as a husband and wife and
0: you know our, our date nights and not just cat and dog shows now. Do you ban yourselves from talking about it and then basically lapse after about four minutes? I try to
1: implement rules of no work talk after 9pm and I break it every yeah, single totally. day.
0: So at least you get to talk to someone who's most of the time going to be receptive because they have to be, right? And um, that's got to be a bonus. That's got to be a bonus. I know we've only got 10 minutes left. You've had a really illustrious career on the way up to this. And I always feel slightly bad, you know, when I have people like you on the show who've worked for amazing companies and had wonderful bosses. You know, you were in bear for ages, weren't you? Yeah, and I worked
1: some of your previous guests. Yeah. You. Did you work for Giles? I did. Giles was my mentor for a number of Ooh, years. And Ishan? Ishan was my boss. So he was and a great, great boss.
0: Who else? Um, I worked with Ben Veer. You worked with Ben. You know, and I think, God, you know, if I was in the scaling startup community in the UK right now, it would make me feel really intimidated that all these people are doing so well because I think I'm never going to have a chance, you know. Um, But you're saying that actually it's blooming difficult, even if you have that experience. How do you make sense of that? How do we all make sense of that? You just have to, I suppose, get out there and do it and learn on the way, no matter what experience or background you have.
1: You've got to be um, tenacious and you just have to persevere through all the rejection. If you, know, if you think you've got a product um, which people are receptive to and there's an opportunity in the market, I think you just have to continue and stand the test of time until you know there will be that buyer that gives you the chance or the beauty of the online world and direct to shopper or consumer allows you to prove the worth of your
0: product and business idea. Yeah. Now the last thing, actually, I've just remembered the one thing I really wanted to talk to you about was raising funds, right? Raising investment. Are you on that path? Where are you on that?
1: So we we raised funds um, with angel investors early on, and that was again completely new. You know, when you work in the blue chip companies, you don't see that side of business. So it was quite strange to go up to people and say, "This is what I'm doing. Give me your money." But um, we, you know, we spoke to other people that had gone through that. And um, fortunate, you know, having worked with some amazing people like Giles, the, the founders, Haley and Andrew of Bear, were really generous with their time. They shared all the kind of pitfalls that they'd made and the things to expect. Um, yeah. That really helped me
0: to know what to do. How far along the track in terms of revenue generation were you when you would started asking for money?
1: Um, I think we'd taken in £60,000 as a business before we decided to raise some funds.
0: So what was the idea behind raising the funds at that point rather than just driving sales? And what were you going to do with that money rather than just driving sales and using gross margin to fund your activity? Well,
1: unfortunately, um, one of the biggest mistakes we made, which was driven by our own um, experiences with our pets, was that we launched into dry pet food. So that has the largest MOQs. And um, it's got the biggest costs to bring that to market. So it, all of our funds that we required were to do with working capital as opposed to growing the brand and investing into marketing. So um, that forced us to raise funds. And we very quickly realized that launching dog treats or cat treats or
0: wet food, much more MOQs, much easier to do. So we expanded our range to do that. So can I ask a question? If you hadn't made that error, you know, learning that we all make learning mistakes on the way. If you hadn't had to order huge volumes because you were in dry food, would you have needed that money, that raising that investment for working capital? Or would you have been able to do it without raising the funds? It's a really
1: good question. If we'd started with, say, dog and cat treats, we would not have needed to raise funds for working capital, but it would have been a question of, do we want to go even faster? And do we want to raise funds for yeah. marketing? So it would just be a different set of circumstances but we could have done it you know just by ourselves if we'd just started
0: that way how did you end up making the decision to play in dry food rather than in wet food and treats it was because of our experiences. so
1: my cat even though most cats like wet food mine um prefers dry food so you know we we wanted to create a product that that worked for her um, and okay. because it was her, her problems really that led us down this path. So that just put us into the world of dry food. And um, it's a really hard sell to get somebody to switch across to dry food. If you, if you try treats, you know, it's a lot more promiscuous. You, you'll say, okay, yeah, I'll see if my, my dog or cat likes this. Or, and even with wet food, it's just one pot for you to try. But to convince somebody to spend 12 pounds on a bag of food or seven pounds on a bag of cat food, that's a much harder sell. So um, we we very quickly realised that, you know, we
0: needed to find a way to get people into the brand. I'm trying to think of the takeaway for people listening to this. If they were in a similar position before they pressed go, if they were to put together a little grid and the grid kind of said, OK, what is the entry price that I'm asking a consumer to pay um, for the smallest bag? Are they willing to take a bet on me, you know, when I'm a new brand in the market and um, dry versus wet? What is the minimum order requirement dry versus wet? What is the profitability dry versus wet? If you'd done that evaluation grid up front, would you have made a different decision?
1: I would like to say yes, although I would still want to launch your dry food because it, you know, it was for my pets.
0: It was for your pets, yeah.
1: That was the problem. I think, you know, what I probably would have done differently is launched into treats or wet food sooner.
0: Right, so okay.
1: We had that lower price point to entice For customers. trial to try the food um, you know, or try the treats so that we could get that time speaking to them. You know, there were a lot of times where Jack and I were at a dog or cat show where we were standing in the sunshine for eight hours and only spoke or sold to five people. And that was really hard because you know, the dry food was so much more expensive. But as soon as we launched the treats and that, that happened at Crufts, it completely changed the way shows went for us because everybody wanted to
0: try the treats and then talk to us as well. That's really interesting. And I'm thinking as you're talking, I can't think of any category off the top of my head where playing in most of the product format segments is so important. Well, maybe chocolate. So think, for example, dairy, right? Yogurts. Okay, I don't necessarily have to play in all of the formats as a brand in order to touch all of the market or touch enough of the market. Right. But in pet food, it seems really important that because some people are dry food feeders and some people are wet food feeders, that you kind of have to almost have a portfolio approach. Is that true in order to yeah, get some traction?
1: And a lot of our customers like to mix it up. So they feed both dry and wet and they fall in love with the brand. And they say, oh, you know, I feed you dry food. When will you make a wet food for me? And, and we've had that, you know, we track all of our customer requests and we've got a really nice panel of customers who will test all of the innovation. We let them decide what Ooh. should we bring out next. That's great because it gives us that validation
0: that the product's going to work as well. Are listeners allowed to sign up for that or is that something you recruit for? (laughs) Well, you recruit on Instagram all the time. You recruit on Instagram. Okay, well, that's really good to know. So people can follow you on Instagram, follow Scrumble on Instagram and they can potentially become testers for your brand because I know most of the listeners do have pets and would love to try. Listen, that was just a wealth of learning for us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on today. I know it's 11 and you have a hard stop um, for one of your calls. Thank you so much, Inesha really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me